Hello everyone and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we take subjects and try to create some order from the disorder. Well, much more likely we'll create some disorder along the way. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram at InformationEntropyPod, uh, and you can find the the podcast on any of the the big the big hitters spotify itunes uh google podcast i think is a thing but it, it is a thing yeah <laughs> we are there anywhere there is an rss feed connection you can find us uh if on those platforms there is an opportunity it would help us a lot if you can give us a rating it doesn't always have to be good could it be bad just some feedback critical feedback is how we uh evolve over time as Darwin said, um, I'm joined. <laughs> That's a cool tenet, yes, <laughs> yeah, of evolution. Yeah, yeah. Critical yeah. feedback. Critical feedback. Uh, ratings on iTunes. Um, I'm joined, as per usual, by by Tom Jenks. Hello. Uh, my name is Mitchell Gatting. So you remember to introduce myself this week. Yeah, there we go. nailed it. Uh, <laughs> the critical that, feedback is helping you evolve. It is helping me evolve, yes. Um, last week we talked about nanotechnology, and this week we are moving on to equally small, not equally small, small in some respects. Uh, we are talking about biodiversity. Whoop, 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 whoop. Tom, Tom's, yeah. Tom's excited about this one. I mean, biology, mate, I'm all over it. Yeah, all over it. All over it. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I may confuse some people in this episode. Okay, um, me, me included? Maybe. <laughs> so I hope I don't ruin biology for people. Uh, mate, you've ruined biology for me many years ago. But it may, it's interesting <laughs> how little we know. <laughs> It's like it's so, like yeah. the eels. I always say about the eels. You yeah. Know, recently, I saw like a, a a gif clip of um like to do with giant squid, right? Squids, squid, uh, and <laughs> that's one. I mean, like, that's definitely not it, but I do <laughs> enjoy squid. Squid, yeah, yeah, that is great. Uh, the mathematical breakdown on like how many giant squid we've seen, but how many there has to exist, and like the difference in it. And they used, like, the breakdown from a whale's stomach. I can't remember which whale it is that actually eats giant squid. Probably kill a whale because they're a bunch of... No. No? Who, who eats... Who eats the That'd giant... be the sperm whale that goes oh, so deep. Yeah, killer yeah, whales yeah. are more mammals so or fish. They carried out analysis on, like, the stomach content on, like, a deceased whale and had a look at, like, how much that whale must need to eat to survive the percentage breakdown that was giant squid. And then we're like, okay, well, if this is correct and this is an average, like they have to eat 10 to 20 giant squid a week, which must mean that the population size like is at least hundred million because of like these parameters. And I was like, great. And we've seen like four. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those like the ocean's so deep and so vast that there's potentially because and that's like only what they they need to eat to survive in a year there has to be that many but the amount that survive and probably they're like for, for them for the population like, to be sustainable right yeah in yeah, each place like, it's got to be bigger than that so yeah. yeah they were like there's a possibility like there could be billions of giant squid and we've literally only seen four or five it's like, got to be more seen, than that. Yeah, like surely, because I've seen one uh, down oh. by us in Plymouth Museum. They used to have a dead one in a tank. 
Nice. Well, vinegared, pickled. Yeah. And it was open on the site. And, you know, I'm a pretty normal person. So if I've seen one and they had it on display in Plymouth, I've got to imagine we've seen more than four. Or is that literally, like well, in the am wild, I more lucky like than video. I knew? Ah, yeah, right, like okay. In the wild, it, like video. Ah, okay. Um, I, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty uh, impressive, isn't it? Like, you see these things like, oh, what a rare creature. And then you actually think about the biology behind you. Like, actually, they're a main food source. There must be way more than that around. Mm-hmm. There must be dense enough that they can regularly breed. Right. Yes. So and- I, this this wasn't my news, but I, I found I found the, the data. So once you finish your point, I'll, I'll actually get the actual exact exact numbers for you. Yeah. Well, what I wonder is obviously you think about squid and octopus, right? Once they give birth, once they you know they have sex, they die. Right? Okay. Yeah. I'm wondering, is it the same for giant squid? Like how I don't think we know how they reproduce right. So they can't oh, I don't imagine that they attach things to rocks like other squid. Yeah. So do so they just bit, kind of a bit deeper though, internal they? Like... breeding and then just kind of an ejection once the eggs hatch inside the mantle oh, really? or something? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Very cool. Um so if you didn't know. Some, some background on the giant squid. Uh, 43 feet in length, which Tom's going to do the... How much is that in metres? Divide by three. 13. Uh, oh, 30, 13 not metres, too far off. <laughs> 13 metres in length. Uh, they weigh about a quarter of a tonne. How much is a tonne, Tom? Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know. Because <laughs> there's uh, a tonne to do with pounds, isn't it? A thousand pounds. Uh, it's 2, not to do with kilograms, isn't it? Two two thousand pounds. Okay, yeah. One, I just one don't... metric ton is two thousand pounds, which is approximately nine hundred and seven kilograms. Yeah, I just don't work in pounds at all. So it's nearly one megagram. I love <laughs> using, I, I love using things like that, and people are like, "That that's not right." I'm like, "No, it's a scientific unit. It definitely is right." You have 100%. a kilogram, you have a megagram, you can have a gigagram, a petagram, and a teragram. Yes. Um. So, uh, based on the numbers of beaks collected from the digestive tracts of sperm whales, scientists estimate that there were around 4.3 million giant squid inhabiting the depths of the oceans. That may seem high, but estimates can go much higher. Some calculations put the maximum number of giant squid at 130 million. Um, so while the footage has been so scarce, there could be many chances to capture it in the natural habitat in the future. Especially with way that things are technology is progressing and how good we are at now going deeper without dying um <laughs> that, that little obstacle <laughs> that little obstacle pressure yeah pushing down on me uh, but I mean, that, it's interesting isn't it like i'll come on to this later how we actually kind of try and measure biodiversity or species populations right but like mm. if i'm in a field Okay, okay, the bounds of this field are this area, and I can measure certain parts of it and average it out or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, but the deep ocean, yeah, right? Three-dimensional. What do you do? Yeah, firstly, three-dimensional. Secondly, uh, what even is their habitat range? Because we don't really know since we've seen live? four of them. <laughs> do we just tag whales and use them to do it for us? Well, stomach pump every whale that we see. No, but like you can put a tag on a sperm whale, right? Yeah, but how would you know that it's like coming into contact with them? That's what I'm because saying. They've even got if, cameras. 
Oh, the, the, the tank with a camera. Okay, I thought it was like and, a GPS. And they're, they're GPS really tank. sophisticated nowadays. So oh, okay. you've got these tags that we develop at my university, University of St. Andrews. And oh. uh, we you put them on the sperm whale, right? Yeah. Not only has it got an accelerometer, so you know how fast it's going, the uh, pressures, you know how deep it is, but it, it's also got a camera, a microphone, and it the directional sense. So you know if it's facing down, if it's facing yeah, up, yeah, left, yeah, right. Yeah. And you can put that onto a program, and then you can in real time, but obviously afterwards, because you yeah. can't do it as it's happening, you can watch <laughs> yeah. the whale dive, uh, mm-hmm. which way it faces, how it dives, which way it's rotating. Yeah. And you can also with the accelerometer see when it makes the motion to like catch something okay yeah and if you correlate that with the microphone using its echolocation clicks you can pretty confidently suggest when it's making a prey capture or it's attempting to at least which means there's prey there yeah but so you could use that as a quasi is the the giant squid the only thing they eat because how are you going to differentiate that, that between their usual? Say that's their, not their usual, but it is their usual. But if they eat other things as well, the camera. How do you know? But is that going to have a light on it? Is that isn't that going to? Is it like infrared? Night infrared. How was the distance on that? Yes. <laughs> like how accurate <laughs> can you know that it's eating a giant squid compared to something else? Well, I, I guess it just if you're lucky enough to see it on the camera, really. Yeah. But uh, issues. Of course, it's not 100% accurate, yeah. but uh-huh. this is. Uh, well, it's just difficult, isn't it? When yeah. you're foraying into a field for the first time. Foray. Foray. Mm-hmm. That wasn't even my news. So. <laughs> What's your news then, mate? <laughs> my, it was about uh, artificial intelligence, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was about artificial intelligence. Uh, an artificial intelligence can now decode words and sentences from brain activity with su- surprising but still unfortunate limited accuracy. Using only a few seconds of brain activity data, the AI guesses what a person has heard. It lists the correct answer in its top 10 possibilities, and up to 73% of the time, researchers found in a primary study that it was correct, the top one. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it it is, but it... It's a good, it's a good development, but a lot of the scientists as part of that study are just like, yeah, it's great, but uh, we don't know what we're going to do with it yet. So it's the the reason it's newsworthy is the the performance is way above what they thought they would be at this point in their development. So the amount of accuracy that they've got now, they thought they would be getting like next year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that it could potentially help thousands of people around the world who are unable to communicate through speech, typing, or gestures, um, which includes patients that are in minimally conscious, locked-in, or vegetative states. Um, what's now generally known as unresponsive wakefulness syndrome. If you don't know, they've been like categorized and lumped together. Okay. Um, which... I don't know, seems, I don't know, it seems unfair, but seems seems like the right thing to do. Um, so most existing technologies to help these patients that exist require really risky brain surgeries that obviously, um, the way they go about it, I say obviously, uh, they implant electrodes in the brain that then, you know, shuns out the activity and then they try and analyze the activity and make words from that. But this new approach could provide a viable path to help patients with communication deficits without using the invasive 
methods. My only issue here is that it's being made by uh, Meta, as in like the Meta Quest, as in the company owned by Facebook. So, you know, yeah, already sus- sussy about it because, yeah, I don't know. I always think anything to do with Facebook's nefarious. Um, so <laughs> the person that's, that's like is heading it is a neuroscientist called Sean Remy King. Uh, him and his colleagues trained a computational tool to detect words and senses on 56 hours, so 56,000 hours, I'll say 56 hours, <laughs> not much, not long at all, uh, 56,000 hours of speech recording from 53 different languages, which oh, is, that's good. yeah, which is, which is, you know, pretty crazy. Um, so that, but that still works out then what, just over a thousand hours per language? Yeah. yeah. Which even, even just using that small amount, it's just, it's so crazy how AI is getting, not in terms of like how good it's getting, but how quick it's getting to train. Like yeah. how efficient they're, because we talked a few um, episodes back about uh, what goes into AI and the sort of, what's it called? Um, the rings. Oh, I always forget rings. what it's Neural networks? Yeah. No, when it goes through like iterations on itself, it's got a name for it, but I can't okay. remember the name, um, level like the levels that it's got. Yeah, I don't know, mate. Uh, I'm, I don't know what you mean by levels. When it goes through how sophisticated the, it is. Yeah, when it goes through the, the the learning, the deep learning from start to finish, there's like the gates it goes through where it like goes, this is possible, but this is wrong. This is then it, it goes back. Like the layers? Yeah, like the levels. It's in the input level, and then okay. it goes through the different levels, uh, output levels, and then there's like weights and balances applied to the hidden level, what it's actually yeah. called. Um but it's getting so like sophisticated now is that they don't they have to do like don't have to do as many levels and because of that you know and it's also good because more people are creating ai right you, instead of just developing it from scratch you can kind of modify one that me- yeah, nearly existing su- supports what you're doing already mm-hmm. and that will also speed things speeds things up uh-huh. indeed um and with you know computing power when, when quantum Computing fully gets uh, like is is less privatized, but is in the private sector because only a few companies are doing it. And when that shifts into mass consumer markets, it's gonna. I think that's when we'll see another explosive growth in human technology. Oh, 100 percent. If we if we make it there, oh, we, we definitely are because <laughs> I, oh yeah yeah yeah. I'm current, just wondering, like, global... that's not going to be for another couple of hundred years, surely. No, quantum computing, that's like... What, in, like where everyone has a quantum yeah, yeah. computer in their yeah. house. But you've got to, Tom, you've got to think, how, like, 20 years ago, where were we at with, like, computing? Like, fucking... I, I get that, I get that. I just think <laughs> that, like, 2002, Windows, what was it, 97, we were still running back then. Yeah, but okay, less of the software, more of the hardware. Yeah, no, I get it, but I'm just, I'm just thinking that, you know... The IT leap that we made over the turn of the millennia from floppy disks even to microchips or whatever isn't as big as a leap from microchips to quantum computing. I feel like that's such a massive leap in my head, but that's maybe because I just don't understand it as well as floppy disk to microchip. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Because no, I, I just, all I know about Quantum is that we don't know anything about it. <laughs> we still don't know that laws that de- define Quantum to the macro world, like, we don't know how it works, but we do. Okay, I think you're getting confused with the quantum, the study of mechanics. quantum, yeah. quantum uh, mechanics. Yeah, I'm thinking about quantum, quantum mechanics quantum, here. Quantum computing. Quantum computing were very, very close to making it a consumer product. But you, you have to think, you're only thinking like a, a desktop lap, a, a desktop computer. So back in 2000, we, we, you'd have to have the, like, the big PC tower, which some of us still have because it's kind of the best thing to, to work on. But, you got to think the other technologies that we had, like smartphones, but there was that like flip phones instead that you could send text that didn't have, you couldn't, you really use the internet. You had to exchange music via infrared or Bluetooth. Yeah. Infrared. You, had to, you, had to, you had to line it up. And if you're going driving on the bus to school and it's quite a bumpy road, you yes. were there trying to like make sure that like you didn't break the beam. And 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 now, if you think like how clever smartphones are, and it's like people forget just how incredibly it, it, people always compare it to the like the Apollo mission. Yeah, like there's more. There's more. There was more. What like five hundred twenty-four megabytes of RAM used to compute the the calculations for the Apollo mission. Yeah, like that's like how much it, how not how better it is. But like that's what they were working with now, and now I've got like thirty-two gigabytes of RAM, like giga instead of megabytes of RAM in my computer. And yeah. you think of like the technology on a, a smart watch. I recently got um, a Garmin watch to, to track my running, and that can do like blood, oxygen levels, sleep. It can navigate me, it can tell me where to go. It can track me in, in terms of like actually on a map. So if I get lost, it can tell me which way I need to go to go home. Like, absolutely incredible. <laughs> Do you often yeah. get lost on runs? <laughs> uh, not so much anymore. I used to. It used to be my... my. I used to go for a really long run at the weekend that... Because I used to live in Devon in the middle of, like, in a small town that you could run in the direction and just get into, like, country lanes. And that was one of my techniques for learning to run further is because I didn't know when I was going to stop so I had right. to pace myself really strictly because I was like, oh, I'll just turn left here. Oh, I'll just turn right here. Right. Try to try now. I have to try and find my way home. And then yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's what I used to do. So intentionally okay. lost, if that's the thing. Yeah. 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 I like it. I've been yeah. on the bike a few times. So I understand the method yeah. behind the madness. There is. There is definite method there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, 20 minutes into the show on biodiversity. <laughs> we talked, I talked about some. Well, well that's true. Yeah, yeah. We, we were talking about the squids. <laughs> the big the big squid. The pod. The pod. <laughs> What's it called? A group of a group of squid. Ah. Oh. I thought it was a, a, school, a squad, isn't it? I thought it was a squad. A squad of squid. Name for a group of squid. Yeah, a squad. Yeah. yeah. A squad of squid. Which is quite funny, because, um, do you know, there's a game called Splatoon. Ah, well, that's what someone on Twitter says. Uh, then... Oh, no, it's, called a, it's, a, it's a show. Uh, see, here it's saying an audience. An audience of squid. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. 
Uh, and they, here it says a shoal, so... Yeah. I think it's probably a shoal. I feel like it depends where you are in the world. Okay. Squad, shoal, school, audience, you know... Uh, because these aren't like proper scientific terms all the time, are they? It's more colloquialism. Yeah, localizations, that kind of like yeah, like jazz. But yeah, sorry. Got any facts on biodiversity? Oh, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. Let me get them up for the the group. Let me scroll down. <coughs> facts, facts on biodiversity. Why? Why? Okay, uh, don't know my, my hotkeys. <laughs> there we go sorted um coral reefs have the most biodiversity of all ecosystems on earth yeah this is very interesting mm-hmm. and i was looking at why but i realized that's that's a whole show on its own yeah coral reefs yeah so i didn't go into that too much mm-hmm. but i feel mm-hmm. like there are striking similarities between coral reefs and tropical rainforests which are also you know, thought to be high biodiversity places, right? You've got the three-dimensional yeah. structure. You've got animals within every single niche. Mm-hmm. Water. It's wet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's struggling just, here. There we go. I've got three. <laughs> <laughs> it's just water. It's wet. It's, it's just water. It's wet. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Uh, disasters can, like natural disasters, can, can ruin ecosystems very quickly but if the biodiversity is very high the ecosystem will be able to recover quicker yeah why is that why is that biodiversity well you know let's say you only rabbits exist near a volcano right yeah a volcano erupts and kills all the rabbits yeah nothing left to replace it you know yeah but if you've got a thousand different species from microbiomes all the way up to plants the yeah. likelihood is that at least some of them will survive, mm-hmm. then start to recolonize the area again, yes. which paves the way for the next stage of uh, the ecosystem to then inhabit it as well. Hmm. Yep. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, that makes, makes sense. Makes sense. Nice. Uh, Madagascar, mate. Oh, a lovely place. I've it's seen an example. it. Have you seen it? Madahuwa? Madagascar. Can I love you, Jake King Julian? <laughs> um, is an example of a biodiversity hotspot because 98% of the living organisms that inhabit this place cannot survive anywhere else on Earth. Yeah. Very specialized. Very, very specialized. I read somewhere. Mm-hmm. That hotspot specifically refers to a place that is like degrading. Oh, yeah, I thought that was odd too. I'd never come across that. So, a hotspot is not only a place that is specifically really high biodiversity, but also right. a place that is in danger. What's well, like the word hotspot being used? In terms of biodiversity hotspots. Oh, okay. I was, I was just like, like, like Wi-Fi hotspots get used all the time, and I don't think the cafe like, that's using the hotspot <laughs> beneath me is in a, in a state of disrepair. Well, you never know, mate. <laughs> I've done there enough. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm solely keeping it afloat. but <laughs> yeah. Don't you just have like a 
pulley system now. The uh, bucket. You just put some money dumb, in. Yeah, dumb way to it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, sadly, um, no. Yeah, I mean, with Madagascar, obviously islands, very interesting by themselves. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time they kind of evolve in isolation, right? Yeah. So it makes sense that they're just so finely attuned to that specific system. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, strange. Oh, not really strange. It's always that, um, is it, it's Plague Inc., isn't it? Uh, Plague Inc., yeah. Where, you <laughs> where, where if you get, if you... You, you you're essentially you play as like a virus or a different type of pathogen and you have to affect the world and madagascar is always the hardest one to get if you if you don't get get it early yeah it's nearly impossible to get yeah they just shut they off just, they just shut everything off you're like well i can't get it via plane i can't get there via a boat and there's no like land connection so they just shut off and then you just, you can't win yeah uh, mm. well, you could start there but it's also a hard place to start yeah yeah, yeah, so yeah. The, the the game winning uh, strategy is the game automatically tries to evolve you, but you can choose to de-evolve yourself. So okay. you, every time the game chooses to evolve you, you just keep yourself at a low level of evolution because it's like, yeah, you now can make people throw up. You're like, no, I don't want that because I'm trying to sneak into everybody. Oh, okay. You keep yourself as a low level, and then you yeah, just suddenly you, once you're infected everywhere. Yeah, you essentially you make yourself as like spreadable as possible, like butter on toast, and then you infect everybody in the world. And then there's one upgrade tree that's got a kill switch, that right? Just kills everybody. And that's what you uh, want to go okay. for. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I downloaded that on my phone because oh, it was free during the pandemic. They made it free. That's yeah, a bit on the nose, but yeah, a bit on the nose. But <laughs> they did it because they've also got another mode that they introduced. Um, on like trying to stop the spread. Okay, it teach you how to like how to stop it. And it's super informative actually on like the different yeah. routes and skill trees you go down to like okay, we're going to lock down this country, I'm going to lock down that country, I'm going to mm-hmm. make sure people, you know, put masks on in this country. Um and like if you do it too much, people start to resist and they don't actually start to wear the masks and things like that and then it starts spreading anyway. Okay, so they made like a reverse plague ink kind yeah. of Yeah. It's ba- basically where you- you're playing, wait, there is a disease and then you're the one who's doing the research to try and stop yeah. it spreading. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting and informative. Yeah. And that, that's why they made it free. Uh, I don't know if it's free anymore though because no, they were like, this is a pandemic thing. Pandemic only. Yeah. Uh, kind of limited time. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. <situation. laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I haven't heard any of the numbers growing, so... You know, maybe COVID's now a thing of the past. Well, you know. Well, we've got monkeypox on the go now, haven't we? Yeah, and it's becoming like flu season. Well, it's actually flu season, isn't it? We're getting it's actually flu cold. season and back to school season, which is a double whammy. Double whammy. Yeah, I, I remember think, Freshers Week. Actually, Whenever you'd go back, you get Freshers oh, Flu. Yeah. Because everyone has come from all corners of the globe or yeah. country and then are mixing again. And I, I can only imagine that's heightened. Especially this year, after you know, two years of isolation, kinda. Yeah, there's also a thing like if you're drinking alcohol, it kneecaps your ability to resist things as well, which adds to it. Because oh, I, well, I, yeah, because I got, I don't know, really like uh, pub golf. I think it was like first year of university, and then I got really, really, really ill. And I was like, how did I get so ill? Then I looked, I was like, if you have alcohol, it makes it worse. And I was like, well. I won, but I lost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but do, it do is, I explain it's still out pub though. golf for those non-British people? Oh, okay. Because so... I feel like these kind of drinking <laughs> games. I was speaking with my colleagues here in Italy, right? They have never heard of like Ring of Fire. Never oh, have I ever. An absolute beast. They have so never fun. played drinking games because they don't drink to get drunk. Do you know what? Yeah, when they so go it's out, very, it's a social like, thing, and they happen British, to drink. Whereas British, we drink like... to get smashed and spend <laughs> yeah, as little as possible. <laughs> So pub golf, I wouldn't play pub golf now because pints in a pub are excruciatingly expensive, especially here in Bristol. Um, I couldn't handle it now either. So the idea is you, you either do, as, as in golf, there's like nine holes or 18 holes. 18 holes if you want to literally die. Uh, nine holes if you just want to have like survive. Essentially <laughs> what it is, is every pub is a hole. Uh, and every drink, you have to drink it in a certain amount of like sips or gulps, depending on you know, what you want to go for. Um, and basically, if you get it in that many gulps, you hit like the par. If you're under, you get, I think it's one. And the person that gets, uh, does it the quickest gets a zero. And essentially over the evening, you, you tally up your points and whoever has the lowest score at the the end of the night wins what do you win hopefully not a trip in an ambulance um <laughs> <laughs> because the, the, it gets quite quite relatively messy um but yeah but then there's like there's like there's different rules where you can have like this is a, a water hole where so you're only allowed to go to the loo here or have water here oh um, okay that kind yeah of stuff. um but the, when we played it we there's i think the first hole they decided it was going to be like a strawberry beer and it was really ah. cold and it absolutely sucked. Yeah, um, I someone chose Someone chose Guinness and we're like, Guinness with a part two. And I'm like, you're going to try and down a Guinness in two, like two knockbacks. Good luck yeah. on that. Ring of Fire is better though. I like Ring of Fire. Ring of Fire is We fun. played pub golf once and we had Guinness and everything on there as well. Oh, such and a bad idea. We had one person... Ollie, absolute legend. Um, he did everything in a hole in one. Yeah, that's what I I do. And I don't know how. I I just quite. I'm here for the journey. I'm not here to score points. I I'm not chugging <laughs> back a Guinness in one. Um, you know, I was there for the experience. I'll take yeah. my experience certificate, and that's fine. He won it, obviously. I don't know how he yeah. did that, but yeah, absolute legend. Yeah, you also dress up as golfers. I think I missed that out. The crucial, oh, yeah, of course. The crucial at the bit at the start is you dress up <laughs> Otherwise, as it's just a bar crawl. golfers. You have like inflatable um, golf clubs. Like, yeah. Yes. The whole nine yards. Literally the whole nine yards, yeah. All right. Back to biodiversity. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's all about ring of fire, but yeah, biodiversity seems to yeah, be. Maybe, maybe when we do our alcohol episode, we'll introduce more people to oh, is, dangerous uh, ways they yeah. can drink. That's, that is an interesting, interesting thing, alcohol. Ring of fire. It's my favorite. Ring of fire. Um, yeah, it's good. Anyway, biodiversity. Yeah. Have you got a definition for us, mate? Um, biodiversity is the. Re- Variety of plant and animal life in the world or in a particular habitat. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I see. I, I always go for really vague because I don't want to go too specific because, you know, that's your realm and I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> no, you haven't got it wrong. And I think that that highlights a thing, right? It's 
you can go biodiversity of the world or you could go biodiversity of my kitchen. You know, like you can literally pick any scale you want and measure the biodiversity of that thing. I'm hoping the biodiversity of your kitchen is very low. I'm hoping it's one. And that is me. me. Yeah. Um, me, the rat and the germs. <laughs> in all likelihood, it's not one, right? No, never. And that, that's just for any, that you know, there are microorganisms around. We can't help that. Um, yeah. But would you even count those? Uh, probably, probably not. Yeah. Well, you get the bleach. Um, Kill 99.9%. <laughs> yes. Get the bleach out. Yeah. Um, there are three main types of biodiversity that people tend to look at which Mm -hmm. is genetic diversity which is all of the different genes contained in all of the plants animals fungi microorganisms um and you could also look at the genetic diversity of a species in a particular place so i'm going to the park and i'm going to look at all the pigeons and i'm going to look at the genetic diversity within the pigeons at the park is something you could do. You could look mm-hmm. at just the species diversity, which is what we all think of, which yeah. is the differences either within and between populations of species, as well as just the different species around. And then you've also got the ecosystem diversity, which looks at the different habitats or biological communities or different ecological processes that are going on. And you could look at one rainforest compared to another and just see how they differ as well. Okay. And one thing I think we need to clear up in terms, especially when we're looking at biodiversity, is what is a species? What is a species? Yeah. I, no, I don't, I don't like this. You've, you've, you've sprung this on me. I'm not ready for this kind of... <laughs> this is the thing... Uh, this is the, the, not the, not the BS thing that we just don't know, Tom. What is a species? It's, it's not that we don't know, right? I think if you ask many people what a species is, they can kind of go, well, they have the concept. Yeah. Right. And we're taught a specific thing in school. Yeah. Which is from Ernst Mayer's book, The Systematics of Origin of the Species from the Viewpoint of a Zoologist. Yeah. Um, so that came out in 1942. And he basically said, species are groups of actually or potentially interbreeding natural populations which yeah. are in reproductive isolation from other such groups. Yes. And basically, things that can reproduce and produce fertile offspring are species. Like donkeys and mules. Like donkeys and mules, right? Yeah. And that's what we're taught in school. And we're like, okay, yeah, so we know what a species is. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, well, you know, how how accurate is that? Because yeah. Darwin even said in The Origin of Species, and obviously Alfred Russell Wallace, the Welshman, who came up with it at the same time, Yeah. Um, they were like, well, actually, you know, it's not that... Uh, I'm very sorry if you can just hear someone just started housework, <laughs> by the way. There is a saw going on in the background, so I apologise if that comes through. Um, but basically, they were like, well, you know, it's not that simple. And... From then until now, we've come up with at least 26 different viable species concepts that no one can actually agree on. Which it makes a problem, right? Especially if you're trying to look at biodiversity and go, okay, so 
how many species are here? Firstly, you need to decide how you're going to categorize what a species is. Because yeah. if you go, okay, there's two individuals that can have sex and make fertile offspring, that works great for mammals, but horribly for microorganisms that just clone themselves. Yeah. Because at that point you'd go, okay, well, actually, microorganisms, there are zero species here, potentially. You might end up with that as an answer. Yeah. So there are some other ones. Biological species concept, as we discussed, fertile offspring, compatible mating systems. Ecological species concept, which is just all animals which occupy the same niche in an ecosystem. So you might say that woodlouse and other detritivores are just the same species, even if they look completely different. You have evolutionary species concepts, where animals with unique evolutionary roles, tendencies, and historical fates. So if all animals that kind of followed the same evolutionary tree and then went extinct at the same time, you might presume those are one species. Animals with a phenotypic cohesion, so traits that look the same, even if they didn't take the same evolutionary path to get here. Uh, genotypic, animals that share a genotypic cluster, for example. Anyway, I'm not going to go through all of them because it doesn't oh, really yeah. make sense. Are you sure? It's... <laughs> but what, my, my point here is that there are so many ways to define a species that it can be hard, but obviously it's super important when it comes to biodiversity. And I think it's something that most people kind of go, oh, you know, it's something we know and it's in the books and it's done. But like in my line of work, for example, even with mammals, the biological species concept of fertile offspring is actually kind of wrong because dolphins, let's take an example, horny bastards, right? Yeah. Have sex with anything they can find, mm -hmm. even plants, weirdly enough. Yeah. Um, but it's quite hard for them to look at each other and go, okay, well, I'm a grey blob. My vision's not great. You're a grey blob. So let's, you know, let's mate. And then they produce a fertile offspring. But it's actually a hybrid, yet it's still fertile. So what species does that uh, new dolphin belong to? Is it one or the other? Is it a new species, even though it can reproduce with both? Is yeah. it both species? Does that mean the original two species are actually one species, even though they look very different? Different coloration, different hunting patterns, different ecological usages. So when I said I was going to destroy biology for some people, this is what I meant. It's confusing, but these are the, these are the questions that need answering. They do. They do. Yep. Um, however, most people just go for, oh, look, that looks very different to that one. They're both monkeys, but that monkey looks very different to that monkey. They don't seem to be mating with each other. Separate species. Of course, you get to DNA barcoding and all of that as well. Um, but that's in the works. In the works. Yeah. What's the... We talked to that, that geezer who would paint gold on <laughs> the... Um, yeah. <laughs> What was he using to differentiate it? But purely by looks, wasn't it? Um, well, th that whole thing was DNA barcoding, wasn't it? No, it wasn't just DNA barcoding. He mentioned it. 
Oh, well, when, when he was looking at his arthropods and things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he was using numbers of legs. Yeah. That was with Andrea Desiderato. Desiderato? Yeah. Desiderato, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, and yeah. he, okay, so that that was a, a little different because he essentially was using music to, out of the, the enzymes, the proteins, the endorphins, What's it? Yeah. I think it was the endorphins of the animal to make music to be like, this is what this is. Yeah, but they start with the, the human hormones, didn't they? And that's what they that's all they had done when we spoke to him. And then they, he was going to move on to the animals. But mm. It was easier to get funding for human hormones than arthropods, mm-hmm. I think, was, was his thing. Um, but yeah. So I think, yeah, as you say, he was going to turn their DNA into music and see if that came out with different things. Yeah. So, yeah, species. No one really knows. It's up for debate. We do know, but we don't know. Um, And it's just kind of always been like that, really. So most people go for what we spoke about, biological species concept. But it's not the only one, and it's worth being aware of that, especially if you're talking about, I don't know, the microbiome diversity. You're going to be looking at it very differently if you're looking at the rainforest, macrofauna, biodiversity. Mm-hmm. So, yes, biology is not the only science. Sorry, physics is not the only science that can be confusing and without strict boundaries. We're here too. Yep. Always assisting humans. <laughs> the biggest parasites in this in this world. Yes. Going to be a bit lighter than uh, destroying our concept of the species. I just how diverse is diverse. Well, that's true. Mind-boggling diverse. I've got. Mind-boggling diverse. Yeah. In, in relation to what? Just how diverse. You know, diversity is biodiversity, right? Because you went to species, and I went biodiversity. I know we can't you can't separate the two, but <laughs> I, I think I went a bit more vague. Than no, just- I that was just kind of like a setting up going into biodiversity because okay. to know one, you need to know what a species is, or how we are going to define a species, or how people look at species to understand biodiversity. I think. Okay, I think for for what I've written using the term species, I've used the, like the super vague, high level stuff that. Oh, no, absolutely use, fine. It's before. what most people use. Yeah. Uh, I, all I wanted to do was quickly, or may, maybe not so quickly in the end, pontificate <laughs> about was highlight the fact that actually there is some stuff that is kind of unknown here, and you'll see some people use different concepts to describe species, mm. and that's normal. Uh, it's just all general uh, science, isn't it, really, to be honest, Tom? Yeah, we just don't know what we're speaking about. No, scientists, pff, they know nothing. Yeah, just idiots. Yeah. <laughs> all of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what have you got, then? Uh, just how diverse is diverse. Oh, okay. Like, we've, we've said about bio, biodiversity, but yeah. how diverse is, like, I don't know, the world. Well, have you got an answer? Uh, well, what we've currently recorded 
Just give me one second. I'll get. I'll get the get the get the numbers up. Um, we've only recorded one point seven million species of animals, plants, and fungi. Yeah, but as an estimate, there's like to be eight to nine million, and possibly up to a hundred million. Which is kind of crazy to think about, isn't it? I mean, we were speaking about the squid, the, the squid at the top of the show. Yeah, the squid squid. Um, and it kind of highlights that actually there are lots of. I mean, the ocean is one place that we can't. There are, must be many, many species we haven't even seen yet. Yeah. But also on land. I mean, land is thought to be, yeah. in general, more biodiverse than soil. the sea. A good, a good soil. A good soil. A good biodiverse yeah. soil. That's what makes a good crop. <laughs> um, it is true, though. Oh, yeah, well, it's not a joke. Uh, I said true. it as a joke, but I said it as humorous, but it's true. Um, just an example, uh, 15 hectares or 37 acres for depending where you, where you sit, uh, in 15 acres away is about, if, if you don't know what an acre is, it's about 200 meters by 200 meters. Um, that's old, the, old English. Yeah. Of the Borneo forest, uh, for example, there are 700 species of trees just in, you know, 15 hectares, which if you didn't know, is the same number as the whole of the North America. Oh, that's wild. It is. Like, I do like that. That, 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 that fact is absolutely crazy. That's madness. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, North America, for North America, get your biodiversity up. You know, you're letting the team yeah. down. Yeah. But, I mean, that also speaks to the fact that certain climates will... I don't want to say promote higher biodiversity, but can sustain it, right? Like biodiversity isn't evenly distributed. If you look at the polar regions, obviously it's a bit more extreme. Uh, you need to be a bit more hardy to survive mm-hmm. there, especially yeah. in certain seasons, right? So the biodiversity changes in the winter compared to the summer. Yeah. But then in like the trop- tropics, where we have these high regions of biodiversity in the oceans and also in the rainforest right it's constant it allows kind of fosters uh much more biodiversity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah the reason why 700 species that's yeah. mad ask, ask you guys, as you said before but the, the using the genetic barcoding um is also going to possibly increase the diversity because as you said because species is so vague what we thought was one could actually be like dozens in under one umbrella. Yeah. A, A, under my umbrella. <laughs> oh, I, wonder, I thought you, when you were saying A, A, <laughs> I thought you were going like DNA barcoding route and you were no, going to start no, saying no, CTG. No, no. Uh, Rihanna is uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where I was apparently going with uh, that. I'm, I'm too deep on the biology side of things here. Yeah. But that's the thing, like, like especially you mentioned killer whales earlier. We have. Lots if, of you, if you've watched subtypes. the latest um, Frozen Planet 2, bunch of bastards. Oh, yeah. Leave those bastards. whales alone. <laughs> Intelligent, but bastards. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Um, but like we have resident killer whales, right? We have transient killer whales, which don't really intermingle and they feed on completely separate things. But even if they're in the same space, do we call them the same species we have d-type killer whales b-type killer whales are they 
you know, they look similar, but they have very distinct markings. So are they subspecies? Are they actually distinct species? I've worked that I know, out, Tom. I've worked I know people out. who are trying to like lobby to actually have them as separate species, right? But it's like, it's difficult. Where's the line? That's exactly as you're saying. So if we use DNA barcoding there, what will we find? I have worked it out. Okay. Of course. Um, if Breaking news. I ding, 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 ding. squint my eyes, right? If you spin your eyes. Squint my eyes. Oh, right. Okay. So to make a fuzzy, a fuzzy image. Yeah. If they look the same, then they're right. the same species. Okay. So that? what you've done there is yeah. basically you've taken the up to 9 million species of plants, animals, <laughs> birds, and fungi, <laughs> and you've reduced them to about 10. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best way to go forwards, to be honest. Yeah? Yeah. It, you know, simp- simplifying is what I'm about. So. Honestly, you're not too far off one of the species concepts. Yeah, see? So, uh, welcome to biology. <laughs> if yes. you'd like to submit a paper on that theory, uh, uh, I'm all peasy. for it. Easy peasy. Um, I mean, it doesn't do it for me, but if it does it for you... Go for it, mate. No, no, no. Uh, oh, there was. I, I did have a bit about the you know the soil and how the, how like diverse it is. Yeah. Um, because we said spring it out that if you add bacteria and viruses, the number of distinct organisms might be in the billions. Um, a single spoonful of soil, which ultimately provides the medicine, ninety percent of all food. <laughs> Contains ten thousand to fifty thousand different types of bacteria, which so, is madness. It's very small, very small. Yeah, and that's the difference between what's the, I've been talking about this for. What's the difference between soil and dirt, Tom? Uh, because there that? is there there is a difference between soil and dirt. Soil has nutrition in it that allows crops to grow or plants just whatever something to grow in it yeah whereas dirt is like barren yes so the way that i remember it is dirt is dead so dirt's got nothing it's got nothing left you ain't got nothing mate (laughs) it's what's his name beal from the the soaps he got nothing left ian beal that's it that's the that's where the quote is from okay Uh, he ain't got nothing left yeah, ain't got nothing. Okay, I'd never really thought about that before, but yep. it makes sense to have the distinction. Yes, there's there's some other things as well that like um, say things mannerisms like dirt doesn't dirt doesn't compact when it's wet, unlike soil. There's uh there's no topsoil, humus. There's no worms. There's no fungi. It's lacking in texture and structure. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, it makes sense because you're not like, all right, I'm going to go plant this in some dirt. You, you always go that. plant things in the soil. Yes. Oh, you're clever, you are, mate. Yeah, mate. Tell me about it. Thought about these things. Yeah. Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do me. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Um. Hmm. Hmm. Because hmm. I've got I've got a section here on threats to biodiversity. Yeah, we, I was going to ask you a question. 
because this this is a, a like a, we, uh, we back in the day when we used to interview people which i'm sure we will rev up soon um one of the questions we used to ask um like biologists and people from that from that realm of of uh science and normally the question is you can split it is with the answer we got was could the loss of biodiversity be greater a greater threat to humanity than climate change yeah and it's that they, they are linked to this point right yeah of course of course they're linked but if they if they if one if, if one came weren't. first uh if biodiversity loss came first what what would be the outcome and i think one of I the think, yeah the the summaries we've got is like climate change if we act fast enough and if we invest enough into it it has the potential to be reversible even if it takes like centuries or millennia it can be reversed but once a species becomes extinct particularly those unknown to science like there's no going back you can't reverse that they are death is final that is it yeah so yeah and we don't know how much biodiversity the earth can lose without prompting like ecological the cascade. Collapse. Yeah, the yeah. cascade. So we know what temps will like will cause the irreversible damage from climate change, but there's just so unknown. We don't know what, where the tipping point is. Um, yeah, and it's like strange because as you as you alluded to, that we got say what seven thousand seven million species unidentified, right? Yeah. Of the ones that we have seen, they're mainly bigger ones that are visible with the eye. And they those ones seem to survive in temperatures like this, right? But what about the ones that we don't know? Are they more sensitive or less sensitive to temperature change? How many uh, have we already lost, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's the thing. We don't know how, how much is already gone. Exactly, which is, yeah, madness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the IUCN... So in 2006, uh, this is a bit out of date, but I imagine it's probably got worse since then. Yeah. Uh, scientists have estimated that millions more species there is that have not been formally recognised. And about 40% of the species assessed are now listed as threatened. So 40% of the species on that IUCN has looked at yeah. are on the red list. And exactly as you say, like... One of the things people kind of look at species at is their ecosystem services, mm-hmm. which is the service they provide to the ecosystem, strangely enough. But normally those services are human benefiting. So they produce oxygen, they enrich the soil. Coral reefs, for example, are much better at protecting the coastline from storms than our storm defenses that we build. Mm-hmm. So actually, protecting the coral reef that's there is going to cost you billions and billions of dollars less than building coral reef uh, or replacements in the future. Yeah. Um, and if you want to remember the worst threats, you have an acronym: HIPPO, Habitat okay. Destruction. Not a good one. Taking uh-huh. away the habitat, obviously, if you see about seven hundred different species in a hectare in the rainforest. And you take a hectare down, I mean, that's massive uh, biodiversity loss. Mm-hmm. Invasive species, we spoke about that yeah, last week, right, I think. Yeah. If a new species comes in and wipes out 
a load of other species, not good. Pollution, uh, that's just uh, an easy one. Human overpopulation is the one I'm on the fence about, given our uh, one of our in- interviews we've had. And over-harvesting, I think, and food waste kind of goes along with there, right? Yeah. Which is definitely uh, a thing, especially if you think about fish populations and biodiversity. Uh, we kind of finish up cod in the North Sea, and so we're moving on to other species. <laughs> I thought that was one um, by going one. back, the cod. I thought that's the, the latest thing. Uh, yes, it is coming back, but it basically got to the brink of, you know, if you don't literally stop right now, cod will be gone. Yeah. And I, they, I think they actually thought that for a few months, so that cod had gone, uh, but they came back. In which case, we moved on to other species and, you know, we spread it out a bit. Bassa. Bass is the new the new hip thing. Bass, yeah. No, no bass. New fish and chips. Bassa. B-A-S-A. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That's the big thing at the moment. I've not heard of that. Yeah. Um, it's a species of catfish. Oh. Uh, and it's really popular. Uh, it, it, I don't know. We, we got, um, what are they called? I don't want to say the name because that's free advertisement. But the boxes of food that arrive. Um, and they have oh, yeah. like... Uh, a type of bassa that you like you coat and you cook and it's really nice um but huh. now before that became super popular i'd never seen it in a um supermarket until then right now like they do frozen bassa down at uh, uh okay Alvin. yeah well i guess that'll be the next big thing until that goes extinct and then we'll move yeah. on yeah yeah bloody humans eh parasites um, mate parasites <laughs> but th- those are seen as the four main things and that will call influence biodiversity and i mean there are many ways to, to measure it as well which i find is quite funny a lot of people i mean there's basically two ways there's what's called the shannon index which is basically a way to measure entropy of a sentence yeah uh, we talked about last week or a few weeks ago the ai uh that was designed to look at bakery goods yes then turned about then turned out to be super good at identifying cancerous cells and actually a whole amalgamation of random other identifying tasks mm-hmm. um yeah. basically this guy called claude shannon 1948 he wanted to quantify the entropy of strings of text sorry the entropy in strings of text so he take a sentence and go okay what's the entropy of this sentence yeah Honestly, I don't know why he wanted to do that, but he did. Basically, he was saying the more letters there are and the closer their proportional abundance in across the entire string, the more difficult it is to correctly predict which letter will be next. Um, basically, you apply that to an ecosystem. The more species there are and the closer their proportionality across the ecosystem, the harder it is to identify which species you will come across next. If there are 10 species, but you only see one of them and the others you rarely ever see, then it's not proportional and it's less biodiverse. Mm. Whereas if they are all proportional, it's more biodiverse. But at the same time, if you're looking at a forest for one hour or 10 hours, you're going to find more species. So you also have to weight it to how much effort you've put in. Yeah. So that, that's also a thing as well. Yeah. 
But yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I th- so coming back to your question, I think biodiversity collapse is definitely, as you as you said, the bigger problem. But I don't know if it's a problem that we're equipped to handle. Yeah, it's not like because we, we just, just don't know enough. Yeah, we also just like we can't currently make things from. We can't like sample genetics or DNA or whatever and then recreate species. Yeah, we're not there. <laughs> We're not there. We're yet. not there. Um, would that be ethical? I think if it, if we cause the destruction of it, I think it would be our responsibility to re put it back. So let's say we know we made the Tasmanian tiger go extinct. Yeah, and we have the ability to bring it back. Yes. Would you reintroduce now the Tasmanian tiger one hundred years after its extinction? Uh, yeah. I think I think we hold a certain responsibility to species that we are the direct cause of their extinction okay but obviously it's not I'm just, not saying it's, I disagree obviously it's not just like punt it down the line and see how it goes obviously we've got this that we have the responsibility to put it back in a situation that's not going to absolutely say, if you, mess if you just up put every hundred tasmanian yeah. tigers back on tasmania everything's yeah, been there for a hundred years yeah, without that's it obviously not going to be a good idea yeah. um <laughs> uh yeah i think there is a certain certain level of responsibility as human beings that and the impacts that we've had to look at things and be like oh you know that was us hands up that was us for sure and i I think that kind of speaks to prevention rather than cure right like at this point if we could just stop people going near forests and i understand it's just not reasonable to ask that because people do make their livelihoods from it and a lot of people do it sustainably right but just the least impact that we can have <laughs> mm. to seal things off for a hundred years, let them kind of grow back. Uh, but that's also the, the, the issue is every single place has its unique kind of challenges, right? Yeah. Like what works in the Amazon isn't going to go and work over in the forests of Africa, for example, despite both being tropical forests, just the same things won't work. Different species, different culture as well mm-hmm. so yeah difficult anyway that kind of wraps it up for me have you got anything else you'd like to uh yeah, yeah you covered uh, it was the the future of uh i think you covered it as we've covered it very well oh so tasty sauce then yeah this well stuff. if you've enjoyed give us a rating um hashtag squoed Hashtag squad. It's good for squad. Hashtag squad. Um, I don't know how you spell that, so you decide. Mitch. I was like, how are we squad. spelling that? Like, but like squad. Squad. Uh, yeah, S Q U O D E. Okay, get your squads out. Get your squads out for them. Hashtag squad. But yeah, that will bring us to a wrap. If you've enjoyed, don't forget to share this with your friends, families, co-workers, scientists, biologists especially, so we can annoy them with our incorrect uh, assumptions uh, yeah. of what makes a species. So uh, Hopefully it's like, it'll annoy them enough that they want to come on. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a thing that I've, I've taken to recently is watching like any sort of military-esque or it's like cyber hacking thing. And even with my, say, above average knowledge of cybersecurity than the average person being like they're just saying fucking words there's nothing oh we've hacked their fire <laughs> like we're in through the firewall like we're getting all the information at the firewall it's just like it's not 
or a firewall is. Yeah, see, well, I like, get that with documentaries. Yeah, I, I started doing that with um, because I, I remember someone that I used to live with during university, they did like documentary analysis because they were doing like videography and that kind of stuff uh, and how like fake documentaries can be, like nature yeah. documentaries especially. Um, and one of the things that brought to my attention was, do you know that, that the episode of, I think it's like Planet, not Frozen Planet, but the other one, where the, the sloth swims across the river. Right. That was 100% manufactured. Like the, the crew put the sloth in the river, then made fake female noises of a sloth on the other side to make it go across the river to get that shot. Doesn't that breach Mate, their ethics it, of if, filming? No. Because there was a, another all. episode where, maybe in the same series, where there was a group of penguins stuck in a hole, right? And then the crew decided to make some stairs so the penguins didn't freeze to death. Again, again right. This comes back to the, the human responsibility. Are they endangered? Yes. Is it our fault? Then we can probably help them. <laughs> and <laughs> like, then everyone was mad that yeah. they didn't leave the penguins to die. No, I'm, they're so stupid. So stupid. And then like the, the person who was there was like, I would make the same decision every time, even if like you fire us. Well, you know, so, there aren't many okay. left of these penguins. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, a famous um, photograph of a an African child who's, like, very, um, like, gaunt. Uh, malnourished. Malnourished, being followed by a vulture, I believe, is the photo. Uh, right. Later, like, the child died later on. Uh, and the photographer just couldn't live with himself and he eventually he committed, he committed suicide with the guilt because he's like I could have just given the kid food like and because of that he had to follow the ethics of like you don't interact with you don't like you can't get involved with it, yeah right. no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not I'm not for that not for that life yeah. I mean if you're like stopping one animal eating from like hunting another animal right I get it but if there's like literally animals or people stuck and they need help or they're going to die and there's nothing, you know, it's just going to succumb to the wilderness or the cold or hunger or whatever it is. Like, why not just... Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, it was weird. I don't get why people were angry about them making some stairs for penguins that nothing's going to feed on. They're just going to die. Yeah. Yeah. I, think- I totally understand that person's point of view. Yeah. Because I like they do the uh, after the present planet too. They they do like a bit about the filming of it, which I, f- I find quite interesting. Yeah, but you, you then get like a a sense of the way that they write the story of like say the fluffy seal, um, the way that they recorded it and the way that's presented is like they're, they're not the same. Like that's not oh, no, how it happened sure. with recording, they, and they've they've yeah. artif- artifact. Like they they've known what the like the twelve days of the seal pup, and then they've just recorded it a bunch and then made it seem like it was the twelve days and then then it left, and that's how they've doctored it. If you want to put like it's not true, they they did doctor it with a factual stance. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like okay, sure they got the the twelve or whatever day days it was. And like okay, and they they showed us that in the documentary, because that's what actually happened. But of course, do they one hundred percent know that though? That's that's yeah. I mean, Weddell seals are quite well known. 
very cute i think very cute beings oh, incredibly incredibly cute yeah yeah but so so i, I think it's like okay we've Dying. got a timing filming constraint lots, here lots of deaths we're gonna s- film for six to twelve days and then we're just going to take the best shots we've got and then not show them in order but make the same story so it is heavily edited and they yeah. do make a story out of it but there is some semblance of truth there in what they're saying that what they are presenting even if it's in a ma- manufactured sense and also stories will get us you know to actually care about yeah, the planet that, more that, yeah so I, I completely understand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why they do it that way anyway awesome source if you want more information, fun, science, you can follow us on Twitter at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast. And I, I realized I actually forgot to upload uh, updates the past couple of weeks because um, I'm an idiot, apparently. So I'll, I'll make sure to uh, be on that a bit more. Apologies. Ratings. We enjoy those. Good or bad. Constructive is how we evolve. We have been the Information Entry Podcast. Hopefully, we've helped decrease some of the entropy of information in your lives. And if not tough, deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll catch you guys next week. Taking a hard line on that. (laughs) Deal with it. (laughs) Coming out.